0: Welcome to another episode of our podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the Association's Assistant General Secretary and the host of this show. COVID-19 has had an incredible impact upon nurses and midwives across the state. The past two years have seen our professions having to adapt to the challenges that this pandemic has thrown at us. Many nurses and midwives have been on the front lines of this pandemic, looking after COVID-19 positive patients, providing COVID tests and administering vaccinations. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Zorges to talk about how COVID-19 has affected him and his colleagues. Steve is an emergency nurse in a public hospital in southwestern Sydney, as well as being a New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association delegate. Thanks for joining us today, Stephen. How are you going? It's a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well.
0: Awesome. So, look, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, how did you come to be in nursing? Whereabouts do you work? Um, what, what, whatever you can tell us about you as a person.
1: Geez, my autobiography. We're setting off heavy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, like you said, I work in one of the emergency departments in Southwest Sydney at the moment. Um, I uh, got into nursing straight after high school. Uh, in my last year of high school, it just um, seemed like a better and better idea. And I like to joke around and say that, you know, uh, TV shows like All Saints uh, <laughs> influenced my decision there. Um, if you only know, they... you
0: knew how little it was about nursing, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I always like to say that, you know, shows like All Saints, particularly the early uh, series that was set in the wards, you know, they must have had some great uh, nurses consulting on the show because, you know, the, there were a few accuracies there, very, very uh, subtle nuances. But, you um, Anyway, so yeah, so I, I, I got into nursing straight out of high school, uh, went to the University of Western Sydney. So shout out to all the Western Sydney alumni out there. Um, I've been doing nursing for 15 years. So I've worked in various um, capacities in nursing, both clinical and non-clinical. So, you know, things ranging from surgical nursing, palliative care, intensive care, CCU, um, even as far as working as an analyst for the district. Um, which was all stats and uh, the rest of that stuff. But, you know, it's stuff that I find exciting. It really governs what we do. And, uh, yeah, now I found myself uh, working in an emergency department and embracing all the challenges that come with that.
0: And why AD? What, What made you kind of go and tackle that beast?
1: I think that it was one of the last things on my list that I hadn't tackled in my career.
0: Okay. Um,
1: you know, I, I'm, I'm all about the experiences. I'm all about, uh, you know, strength, uh, strengthening myself through my experiences. And having spent uh, the prior 10 years, Um, you know, tackling the back end of the hospital. I thought that, you know, I'd I'd get some experience in the front end of the hospital and literally on the front line of the front line. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's been challenging, but it's been educational and, uh, you know, work with a fantastic team, which makes life a little bit easier as well. So, yeah.
0: Something really unique about um, teams in nursing, I think, that I reflect on quite a lot. So it doesn't surprise me when you say that you've got a fantastic team. Talk to me about that. How does that help kind of with some of the difficulties that you've recently gone through as well, working through a COVID pandemic?
1: I often say to a lot of the newer nurses coming through that um, uh, nursing is a very unique profession because your team become your family almost. Um, I know that uh, the best friends that I have are uh, all nurses that I've shared a night shift with. You know, I, th- I think there's something about being awake and punch drunk in the small hours of the morning <laughs> that really makes you bond with your team. Um, so, you know, you're every single day you're dealing with um, you're dealing with some serious issues and you're dealing with some very uh, traumatic events in the lives of others and also in many cases in your own lives as well. So it's really important to have a really good team around you. And when you do find that great team. Um, you know, you'll go that extra mile for them, and they'll go that extra mile for you as well. Um, I, it's it's not something that is, that is exclusive to the emergency department either. I mean, mm-hmm. in many iterations, I still remember my old team uh, back on upper GI as well, and they were fantastic, just like a family. You know, used to bring lunch in for each other. If someone if someone forgot their dinner, someone would share their dinner as well. It's um, Yeah, it's like your family away from your family, especially when you're spending Christmas and Easter and even Ramadan or whatever the celebrations are, you know, we don't get the luxury of taking the day off, you know, hospital's got to keep running and, you know, you often find yourself celebrating those big events with the family that you've made in the hospital.
0: I think that's a really accurate and quite kind of heartfelt reflection that, um, I think most of the members will resonate with for sure Mm, because it's something that's really unique and it's hard to explain to people what that experience is like until you've done it, isn't it?
1: I have many friends who work in the corporate sector and it really fascinated me because, um, you know, I, we were talking about our friends from work and they were saying to me that, yeah, I've got friends at work, but the moment it hits five o'clock, no one talks to each other, everyone Mm. goes home and goes on their business. Whereas in my setting and every setting that I've worked previous to that, we're messaging each other, we're calling each other up after hours, we're calling each other up in the middle of the night, you know what I mean? It's, it, they're, they're true friendships, you know. If you can't message someone in the middle of the night, can you really count them as a friend? Mm. And, um, yeah, it just it, it demonstrated to me the uh, difference that, you know, some workplaces have as far as their team and, you know, that family ethos that we hold in nursing.
0: Mm. So let's talk a bit about the work. Since you've come to emergency, what have you found that you've liked? What have you disliked? Certainly in comparison to some of the other areas you've worked into, you know, what keeps you coming back and getting out of bed every day?
1: Um, I think it is the challenge of facing something different every day. Um, one of the things that was when, when I was doing um, acute face ward nursing, um I really did enjoy the relationship that you develop with your patients. You look after them for weeks, sometimes months at a time. Um, You develop that relationship with them. You develop that closeness with them. You see photos of their family. uh, They update you with things that are going on in their family's lives. You get involved in their family gossip and you love listening to it. And (laughs) don't get me wrong, I absolutely love that factor of it. But, you know, especially with nursing, you know that you can go to work and, if you've had a really difficult shift with a really really difficult set of patients, you can come back the next day and that changes completely. It's mm. constantly challenging you. You're constantly thinking. You're constantly problem solving. Um, I don't think it's unique to emergency nursing, but it's definitely um, it, it's 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 definitely highlighted in emergency nurse, nursing. Um, you're definitely you definitely got to think on your feet. Um, every patient is different they have a different mm. set of problems what's unique about the setting that I work in is that I work in a very diverse community um, we're seeing you know challenges ranging from people from non-English speaking backgrounds uh, the uh, LGBTQIA plus community coming into our hospital and seeking help and You know, each refugees as well as a big one in the hospital that I work in as well, and each and every one of those populations has a different set of challenges, and you really got to flex that problem solving muscle to make sure that their healthcare needs are met. Um, You really do feel like you make a difference in their day to day lives, especially in that four hour window that we get to treat them. (laughs) You know, you can you can you can really either make it count or you can do the bare basics and you know, going back to my team, I really think that a lot of them come to work and really want to make it count.
0: Yeah, that's really impressive, I have to say. Um, it, you know, I think what drew me to that type of work was always the variation. Every day was so different. So it was really, I think, the challenge of that. And if you like that kind of challenge, then I think, yeah, it's a really dynamic and interesting place to work. Um, And some of those particular, you know, minority groups that you've spoken about sound like they need good advocates like you. So that's awesome.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So let's talk COVID. What's it been like working on the front line, um, you know, front of house, middle of a pandemic.
1: COVID has become such a dirty word, hasn't it? <laughs> um, I think that there are a lot of nurses out there. Uh, you know, I'm going to focus on the emergency nursing experience here, but um, I think that there are a lot of nurses out there who feel a certain amount of PTSD mm-hmm. every time they hear COVID. Now imagine, you know, you turn on the news and you hear nothing but COVID. Mm-hmm. You go to work and it's COVID. You know, the the, the policies, the procedures, the approach, the everything's changing you know, within an hour, you know, we don't get that time to adjust to change. We just have to be agile and adapt to the changes that are thrown at us.
0: And given Um, what I've just said, how we both thrive on change, right. And being in that dynamic situation, can you just reflect for me about um, what the experience of all of the change that you've been through in such a compressed timeframe was like, because I would suspect the circumstances are a bit different.
1: I think that uh, it's important to acknowledge that whilst a lot of us do thrive on that change, there is a certain, we do reach a certain point, like a saturation point yeah. where, you know, it just becomes too much. Yeah. Um, I have been speaking with a lot of my colleagues across many different facilities and I'm hearing some really sad stories. Some of them are sitting in their car crying before uh-huh. they're going to work. Um, some of them are crying at work. They go into the bathroom and start bawling their eyes out. And, and I think that uh, it's it's really interesting because they just dry their eyes and go, "Okay, no, I've got a job to do. Let's get these meds done. Let's hang these antibiotics."
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you th- this is not something you do to. Th- this is not something you do to someone you care about. This is not something that you would do to. Uh, you know, th- these are the people who need support. Yeah. Um, and they are receiving that support. They are. But is that support enough? That yeah. You're asking that question. Morale is at an all-time low. Any facility you talk to, uh, you know, particularly when we talk about lockdown during COVID, yeah. a lot of nurses felt as though, you know, you go to work, you come home, and they had no opportunity to decompress. They had no opportunity to get together with their, with their start, with, the, with their colleagues, with their friends, you know. So there is this isolation that comes with it. And whilst in that isolation, um, you turn on the news and all you hear is COVID. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: really interesting. There's um, lots of emerging evidence from overseas um, about COVID and the experience of going through a kind of outbreak through the pandemic whilst also being in isolation um, and how it really, you know, increase the impact of the pressures that nurses and midwives were experiencing at work because they couldn't access their family and their friends support which is so critical for them to be able to process and function in what would always be a pretty kind of high stress environment um I think we're going to see some really interesting evidence emerge over the next couple of years and when I say interesting I would say probably pretty devastating in some instances too.
1: Yeah I absolutely agree and one of the things that that I want to acknowledge and I feel that everyone in the community at all levels of politics, everyone needs to acknowledge when it comes to the 95 odd thousand nurses here in New South Wales is that, you know, you go to work and you know, you're, you're just constantly under this, you're under this abuse, right? We'll call it abuse. I think there's going to be a lot of, I bring up, I jokingly said PTSD, but I think there's going to be some serious PTSD from COVID.
0: Yeah. you got to remember
1: that these nurses are people too. They have kids, yeah. their kids get sick. They have families, they have bills to pay. You know, real life continues to happen, even though you're a nurse.
0: Yeah.
1: So at what point do you take that to work with you and you can't fu- function at your top capacity? but then on the flip side is how much of that trauma do you take home with you and how does it affect your friends how does it affect your family how does it affect your capacity to live day to day yeah I really really needs i really really feel we need to pay attention to that
0: yeah look at something that we're looking at really closely here at the association um, even just some of the experiences from our kind of peers in um, other states I think demonstrates that you know particularly Victoria because they've been through two quite decent um, outbreaks and pretty substantial lockdowns um, they've seen real issues around retention and recruitment to some of the you know higher risk areas like ICU um, and people are not as keen to work in COVID wards you know it's been an non- ongoing. Going piece of um, of work that they've been trying to strategize around, but yeah, the the evidence from overseas is really um, pretty astounding. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens here in Australia and when we can really start to dig down into some Australian specific research. I think.
1: Mm. Um, it be because really it's... good to see the numbers on that because, you know, already, and I'm sure most of your listeners as well will agree with this, is that we're already seeing a lot of anecdotal evidence around this. Yeah. A lot of people, Ed has been on the front line of the front line, like I said, yeah. and there are a lot of people looking for employment outside of Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, It's a huge issue.
0: For sure. We so we had a big workforce study um, here last year on the welfare of nurses and midwives. And it was really interesting because New South Wales, despite at that point not having been through a big outbreak, um, was disproportionately impacted by stress and overwhelm, uh, which was directly correlated with the workloads that New South Wales were carrying. And I think that says something about, you know, the way that workloads are managed here in this state by comparison to some of the other states Um, but yeah it'll be interesting to see how all of that information falls out over the next kind of six months or so because I would suspect that it will be worse you know our members were pretty fatigued uh, going into the pandemic so um, it it will be you know I don't think there'll be any huge surprises but it'll be really good to see some of that evidence like laid out really clearly.
1: And I think what's really important is that we need to make sure that these discussions are happening at the levels that matter. Absolutely, you, know, you talked about staffing levels. Um, I know that you know the association has been uh, campaigning for staffing ratios in both uh, emergency and acute care settings. Mm. Um, you know, if we had that in place coming into the pandemic. Sure, staffing still would have been a problem, yeah. but not as much as it was. Absolutely, not as much as it was. I, I worked in an environment where I think a good like one third of the staff were knocked out because of quarantine. Yeah, of wow. Exposure, yeah, you can't. You can't. That that that's decreasing staff, decreasing skill mix. We had theatre nurses coming into the emergency department, and as amazing as theatre nurses are, and as capable as they are, you know, I wouldn't want an emergency nurse in an operating theatre. I'd rather have a theatre nurse there. And it goes the same on the other side as well.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, the experience of those theatre nurses going into a department that they're not familiar with and having to constantly work through the challenge of where's this thing, what's this Mm -hmm. thing, what's this drug, who's this patient, you know, all of the things that we take for granted when it's sort of your bread and butter. Mm. But that, you know, back to I think what we were saying earlier, some element of change is really good constantly living through that element of change is just so fatiguing for people um yes under
1: normal circumstances under normal circumstances i would welcome that change i said Mm. earlier that you know I've constantly challenged myself by, you know, embracing new experiences, you know, going from department to department, trying to learn as much as I can about those specialties. Mm. Under normal circumstances, a theatre nurse coming up for three months and spending three months in the emergency department to see what it's like on the other side would be invaluable, absolutely invaluable to that um, staff member. However, in a time of crisis or in a time of, you know, the, the stress that we're experiencing under COVID, I don't feel that it was an appropriate time for a learning experience. Of course. You
0: know? And because ultimately it wasn't about the learning of the individual nurses and midwives, was it? Mm. It was about how do you staff, a you know, environment that doesn't have the resources that it needs. Precisely. And, you know, it was just all hands on deck wherever possible, I think.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, a big shout out to all the nurses here in New South Wales, because, you know, I saw it. uh, I saw it with my own eyes. We really did pull together. You know, in my department, we had nurses from all over the hospital come to help us out because we were struggling. And for that, I'll be forever grateful.
0: Absolutely. And really, if it wasn't for the goodwill of all of the nurses and midwives across the state, we wouldn't have had the successes that we've had really coming through what was such a terrible outbreak. So, you know, it really is hats off to all of the nurses and midwives out there that contributed in any way, because it's all made such a difference. Absolutely. So talk to me about, you know, at the height of the pandemic, when you guys were having a third of your staff furloughed and, you know, hundreds of admissions across the hospital with COVID positive patients uh, to now, you know, what's it look like now? And what's the experience like for all of you and your colleagues out there in the workplace at the moment?
1: Yeah. Um... At the height, I I don't think I need to explain to anyone that at the height of this, you know, we we were seeing COVID positive patients every single day, Hmm. um, having to isolate those patients. Uh, We were seeing delays in the emergency department because of two reasons, you know, the sheer volume of patients and uh you know the delay in treatment when it comes to having to find a place to isolate these people um you know we now have access to uh point of care testing which um you know takes 20 minutes but when you only have one machine Mm -hmm. and you've got three people waiting in front of you that's an hour before your test even starts to run yeah you know so you know we don't want to delay treatment i think every every emergency nurse wants to get in there do the job and get them out um we don't benefit from delaying that treatment it it was and then obviously you know changes around infection control changes around ppe you know having to adapt to all of that as well you know when we compare it to now i think things are getting better now Anyone who's been following the news, we're seeing roughly around, you know, the late 100s, early 200s as our daily case numbers come out. And I, I think that's a phenomenal effort um, from everyone in New South Wales. And a big part of that comes from, you know, adhering to the social distancing rules. And, you know, 90% of our population is now vaccinated in New South Wales. And, you know, as a nurse, I thank each and every one of the people out there who got vaccinated. Yeah. You're not just doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for everyone else. Yeah. Um, however, I think that there's it's going to take a very long time before nurses forget the trauma that they experienced at the height of this pandemic in yeah. New South Wales. Yeah. A lot of us, you know, are carrying that trauma with us. And I think it's going to take months before we work through that and get back to a sense of normality.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, how do we move going forward? How do we make sure that everything that everyone went through wasn't in vain and that we learn from the lessons and we make sure that we have a system that's robust enough to respond as it's needed?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head there. You almost answered your own question within that question. Um, the I think one of the important things is that we reflect on what happens to us all. Um, we learn from the our experiences in the past. Uh, I remember when I was at uni, and you know, I was doing I was doing my the education component of my degree, and you know, one of my lecturers said, "Knowledge is reflecting on experience." Right, so. Um, that's how you convert experience into knowledge. And I think it's, it's more important now than it is ever. Um, We need to see where our failings were. We need to acknowledge that there were failings. Um, It's nobody's fault. We were kind of, um, we, we were making this up as we go along, you know, Um, we need to acknowledge where our failings were, learn from those and move forward from those. We can't ignore them. We need to face them. And, um, acknowledge our own deficits and move forward with that. I think a really important thing that we need to do as a faculty, as the nursing faculty as we are, is we really need to engage with the community. Um, We are, we're too busy looking after people. We're too busy making sure that the hospital is running. We're too busy taking care of people, trying to achieve the best possible healthcare outcomes. our patients in our community so we need our community to pull together with us and advocate for us you know we need more staffing yes but where are we going to find that staff? how about more funding into the education of nurses you know how about more incentive to hold on to our most senior nurses in that clinical setting even if it's one or two days a week you know uh, Let's talk. Let's have let's have a discussion about one to four ratios in the. I know in ED it's one to three ratios, right? But let's have a discussion about ratios because you said yourself, you know, you you've already brought up all the evidence around the trauma around. Mm. There's a lot of evidence ar- uh, around increasing the patient to nurse ratio, uh, rather increasing the nurse to patient ratio provides better healthcare outcomes. Better healthcare outcomes also means that we save money as a healthcare system. During this whole pandemic, okay, we've been bombarded with people talking about, you know, we're going into lockdown because this is what the evidence says. Mm. We're getting vaccinated because this is what the evidence says. Yeah, we're happy to listen to the evidence during a crisis. Well, how about we start looking at the evidence before the crisis happens? ratios save lives the evidence is there there's a number of there are a number of papers being written about this why can we listen to one set listen to what you call one academic talk about one set of evidence and completely ignore the other Mm. you know again it's about being honest with ourselves and it's about being honest with the information that's presented in front of us
0: really interesting. Obviously, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Um, and up to this point, the government has been really firm that, you know, ratios are not the way forward. Do you think the sand shifted enough that they might have a different opinion this time around?
1: I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say there's been absolutely no talk about it yeah. uh, at any level of government. At least I haven't no, heard I any talk right. about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if they're not even acknowledging that this discussion is happening, then how can we say that they're actually listening to us, listen to our voices? Mm. Um, I do like the... One of the things that I do like that came out of this pandemic is the, the concept of the essential worker. This pandemic really made us reflect on who's essential. Um, one of the jokes I would make at work is you know, did you see anyone standing on their balcony and clapping for a bunch of real estate agents during the pandemic? <laughs> I don't think so. They were clapping for the nurses, they were clapping for the cleaners, they were clapping for the supermarket workers. I think that there was a real shift towards people seeing how valued and how important our work is. So when you have this workforce that you've labelled as essential, why wouldn't you try to to look after them, Mm. to give them what they need to be able to conduct their work safely? Uh, One of the things I haven't talked about yet is the importance of staff morale as well, Mm. you know. Morale has been an all-time low. We had fatigue, we had burnout, we had people we talk about, you know, people coming out of this experience with PTSD, you know, what can we do? How can we invest into the morale of our departments? Because a happy department is an efficient department.
0: Yeah. You know, you want
1: to meet your KPIs, that's fine. Keep those nurses happy because they're the ones driving your KPIs. They're the ones achieving your KPIs.
0: Yeah. Look, it's really interesting. I think so much has changed over the last 18 months. You know, we've got a new premier. Ultimately, there'll be... New decision making, and so we are certainly very hopeful that the government will approach some of the decisions around ratios differently than what they've done in the past. Um, but also equally, things like the pay, uh, public sector pay cap that we've had, you know, oh, and nurses phrase. and midwives being given a free, a wage freeze, all of those sorts of things. So I really think up to this point, it's been pretty clear that um, our members haven't been valued, but the community really has spoken, and the sentiment that um, They're demonstrating as much as you've said, you know, they really have seen what critical frontline workers actually do for them. So I think the pandemic's really brought that front and centre. So I'm very hopeful that the government will have shifted on some of that. Um, well, I'm
1: going to give our current Premier the benefit of the doubt in this one. And yep. I got a feeling I'm going to eat my words here, <laughs> but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so first of all, congratulations. He's, he's, he recently found out that his wife is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? You're going to need a midwife. Those midwives are there for, I think he's got six kids already. Yeah. Or is I this think his he's number six? He's, I'm He's not got sure. quite a few kids. Yeah. There were midwives there for every single pregnancy. Yeah. Now, he's got, you know, six very healthy kids and one on the way. So, you know what? If, if we want him to see, all you need to do is have a look at, all you need to do is have a look at uh, how much he has uh, interacted with the, uh, with the hospital system with the pregnancy of his, uh, with the pregnancy of his wife and, you know, he can see it. He he can see what's going on. So, you know, pay attention. That's this is, this is my challenge to you, Mr. Please pay attention. Please notice us.
0: So uh, I can confirm he has six kids. It's number seven that's on the way. So you're right. Like someone who will have interacted pretty substantially with the work that our members do, I hope that he can take the time to see what value they provide to everyone's families.
1: And, uh, you know, uh, everything aside, I think uh, Florence is a beautiful name for a baby girl. So. Mr. Faraday, if you're listening...
0: Give it some consideration, huh? <laughs> give
1: it a little bit of consideration. Maybe we can have a poll on the website should we name his seventh child.
0: Oh, that sounds like a good idea. It so reminds look, me
1: of that joke. Sorry, just no, a topic. You know, if, if you ever watch Seinfeld, um, George Costanza wants to name his child seven and then another couple. So, you know, you could also name your child seven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, let's assume that he... Um, That he, you know, all of a sudden the government's had a change of heart and we get ratios and life's good. That sounds amazing. But if that doesn't happen, then it's pretty clear that we're going to have to go in and campaign and fight to get ratios. So what do you think we need to be telling all of the nurses and midwives across the state? You know, from my perspective, I look now, Queensland have got ratios, Vic have had ratios in for years. Canberra's just committed to getting ratios. We've got an incoming opposition government in South Australia who have said if they get in, they're going to give give their nurses and midwives ratios. New South Wales is falling so far behind here. Mm. So if our members have to fight for it, what is it that we need for them to know?
1: I think it's really important that we do engage with the community. Um, You know, a lot of people that I talk to in the community often ask me, what can I do to help? You know, I've had a lot of people approach me and say, what can I do to help? You guys are doing it tough. How can I help? The reality is is that I can't get you into the hospital operating a ventilator for me. That's my (laughs) business. (laughs) That's the stuff I'm good at. Leave leave that stuff to me. But if you do want to help, you need to start emailing your local members. If you can flood their inbox with you know, short, concise, passionate emails about why healthcare is so important in New South Wales, they will have no choice to listen. Mm. Cause don't forget your members of parliament represent you and they represent your best interests. There is a, there is a large aging population in the electorate that I currently live in, mm-hmm. right? When you have an electorate like that, healthcare needs to be front and center. Mm. You know, these people are going to be engaging with our emergency departments, with cancer treatments, with, you know, anything life throws at them. We need to make sure that we have well-rested, energized, well-funded and well-resourced nurses ready to to deliver that healthcare in the middle of the night when they need it most.
0: Thank you. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, look, I just want to say that I think you're a really impressive person um so exciting to have you as an active member and i'm just so grateful for the work that you've done particularly over the pandemic i think that your colleagues probably share the same sentiment um but your patients obviously have really done well with having you there in your advocacy so thank you so much for taking the time today you're very um, welcome thank you for
1: your kind words but i would also like to mention that you know it it, it takes it takes a team Right, it does take a team. You you talk about, you know, uh, how amazing I am here, but you know what? Each and every nurse is amazing out there. I want each and every nurse out there listening to this podcast to remember how amazing they are. And you know, you might be shy to get on the radio. You know, you might be shy to stand in front of a camera. It doesn't mean you can't contribute to the fight. Each and every one of us is good at something, and if we each contribute something, whether it's big or small, you know, together that amounts to something. and We can create something massive and lasting change.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't have said that better myself. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back after a quick message about the Association's Free Continuing Professional Development Scheme.
1: Did you know that the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association members can access over 60 CPD courses for free? Just log on to Member Central on the association website to find out more. That's nswnma.asn.au. And if you're not yet a member, join today and get access to these courses straight away.
0: That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Stephen. If you have any feedback or recommendations about who you would like to see on the show, send us an email on the shift Podcast at nswnma.asn.au. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow the association on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn so you can stay up to date with all our services and campaigns. We'll see you in a fortnight.